live from Studio 67 in Florida's Capital County. It's time to be fackish. Access granted. Good people, welcome to the end of week one of the 2021 session. Davin Suggs here, Director of Public Policy with FAC, and I'm joined by the rest of my team, and we're going to go over what happened this week and what didn't happen. So let's start with a little roll call. Um, And this week, folks, tell me who you are, introduce yourself, and let the people know what your favorite color is. I think this is very important as they get to know us. So I'm going to start with Tiffany. How are you doing today? Hi, Davin. I'm good. Thank you for for the warm welcome. I am Tiffany Henderson, the Senior Public Policy Coordinator at FAC, and my favorite color is red, and it always has been red. I guess as a kid, it's just something that caught my eye, and I'm a very, I guess, colorful person, but later on, I was like, red means confidence, excitement, and energy, and it is the most stimulating of all colors, and it also stands for passionate, energy energetic, outgoing, and courageous. So red actually describes who I am as a person. You are red. Absolutely. Thank you and welcome to the show. All right, next, let's go to Eddie. Eddie, how you doing down there in Fort Lauderdale? What's your favorite color? Uh, Just fine. This is Eddie Labrador, Senior Legislative Counsel for the Florida Association of Counties. My favorite color is blue. Uh, As a kid, Blue was my favorite because it reminded me always of the amazing New York Mets. <laughs> my my kid baseball team. All right. Course, over the years, I've decided that it's better to be a Yankee. <laughs> That's all right. I like blue because blue is the color of fact. All right. Bob McKee, what's going on? This is Bob McKee. I'm the deputy director for public policy for the Association of Counties. And my favorite color has always been orange. Not because of the Mets and not because I grew up in Tampa Bay and and the Buccaneers back in the day when they had the orange uniforms. I'm not really sure. Orioles are one of my favorite birds, so maybe that's what I'd point to. But when I'm in the political process, my favorite color is green doing the finance and tax issues. Ah, very clever. Very good. All right. Jeff, how are you doing today? Happy Friday. Great, Dan. Great, Dan. This is Jeff Scala here, Associate Director of uh, Public Policy with FAC. I handle environmental and water policy and energy. Uh, my favorite color would be purple, uh, as it's really regal, and I love wearing clothes that are purple. I think I, it, it complements my red hair. Yeah. Jeff, you are a king. You are very regal. Sarah. Welcome, last but not least. Did you have a good week? I did have a good week. Hey, everyone. It is Sarah Henley, Facts Policy Analyst. And my favorite colors are kind of a combination of Eddie, Bob, and Jeff. I like green, blue, and purple because I like natural colors, soothing to the eye, chill, and calming vibes within my colors. That fits it, Sarah. You are very chill and calming. Every time I see you, when you talk to me, I just calm down and relax, especially after talking to Bob. Bob gets me all excited. (laughs) I need Sarah to come in, chill me out a little bit. All right, crew. Welcome. Um, Let's get right into it. You know, 
my personal favorite is the rundown. So real quickly, folks out there, we're going to run down what happened this week. We're going to hit the highlights um, because it is session now. So the volume of activity has gone up. Things we don't cover will be in our printed version of our podcast. We affectionately call Ledge Bull, which will be out. Um, So you can catch all the fine details there. So I'm going to start with Jeff. Jeff. It's about this week, there were a lot of bills in the ag and environment uh, side of policy. The first bill, Senate Bill 88, Farming Operations, uh, cleared its last committee stop in the Senate. Uh, it is ready for the floor. Uh, the House bill has not been assigned, but was filed this, this week uh, by Representative Williamson, and that is House Bill 1601. Uh, Reclaimed water, water, potable reuse bills were both heard in each chamber. Uh, the House and Senate bills are moving along. They're slightly different, so we're going to be monitoring those differences between the bills. Uh, also this week, uh, the House Bill 331 related to private waste companies, uh, the, the displacement of private waste companies was heard and passed along party lines. Uh, this bill would eliminate the option of a local government to pay a displaced waste company in lieu of providing a three-year notice period. Uh, another bill that we're watching this week is House Bill 267, the preemption of seaport regulations. The bill was amended to remove county uh, county ports from the bill, so it's currently looking only like municipal ports would be preempted. By the bill, we thank uh, Representatives Roth and Marka for working on amendments to remove counties from the bill. Uh, The last bill this week in the rundown is House Bill 839. It was temporarily postponed. This is a preemption of energy infrastructure regulations. Uh, We are trying to work with the sponsor on that one, but it was temporarily postponed due to a title amendment um, and more later on the House broadband bill. All right, Jeff, good timing. You are getting much better at this. Applause, if I had an applause sound effect, which I do, it's on a different board, though. All right, Bob, you know what time it is? Time for the rundown. I want to start by saying, Gavin, I put the work and worked up. So when I get you worked (laughs) up, that's why. Go ahead, Bob, run it down. All right, the big bill this week in the finance and tax area was Senate Bill 50. It passed out of its last committee, the Senate Appropriations. They, despite what was discussed in finance and tax of coupling it with a number of uh, um, tax exemptions or other things, they did not do that in appropriations. They passed the bill out clean. Um, They did have an amendment that clarified how um, the additional local options surtaxes that would be collected under the bill would be distributed back, that they come back through the discretionary sales tax pool, that uh, currently when dollars are collected outside of a, delivered into a county that has a surtax, they go into that quarterly distribution that comes out from DOR. A couple other bills, um, House Bill 585, payment for construction services passed. its first committee and house regulatory reform. They did, this This bill increases the interest rate um, under prompt pay situations where the payment is not made on time. They actually, previous versions, we're gonna increase it from 1% per month to 2% per month. They revised that to go from 1% to 1.5% per month. Uh, we've asked 
uh, our membership about that one. We have not heard back that anyone's concerned about that change in interest rate. If you are, please let us know. Bob. And that's really finance and tax. Not a lot of activity as they're waiting for the new revenue estimate for general revenue as they look to establish their budgets. All right. Well, thank you very much, sir. That was very calm and relaxing. You took Sarah's cue right there. I'm still behind the waterfall, as Eric would say if he were here. Eddie, do you know what time it is? It's it's Eddie time. All right, right, Eddie time. Let's go. All right. Well, uh, this week in uh, House regulatory reform, we had a feeding frenzy on... Uh, local government revenues, as we had several bills that uh, impact our revenues based on the results uh, of committee action. The first bill is House Bill 667 uh, relating to building uh, inspections. This bill requires that uh, uh, building inspections be allowed to be requested uh, uh, electronically uh, by email, uh, fillable forms, uh, third-party uh, management software, or uh, forms that are, are applications that are downloadable uh, to a mobile device. It also provides that uh, under certain circumstances, if a building inspection is denied, then the local enforcement agency will lose 10% of its building and permit fees that it charges for those inspections. Uh, Another bill that also affects uh, county uh, and um, uh, revenues in in the same vein is House Bill 1059, dealing with construction permits. This bill provides timelines for the review of additional information that's requested uh, from an applicant seeking a development permit or development order. It requires that certain information be posted on the websites, uh, and that includes building application, building permit applications, uh, attachments. Um, um, it allows uh, for those applications to be submitted electronically, and it allows um, for the posting of uh, the status of building permits uh, on a local department's uh, website. It also requires that building permits for residential dwellings be issued within 30 days. And if you fail to meet the deadline, guess what happens? You lose up to 10% of your building uh, permit fees for every day that you miss the deadline. Um, And last but not least, uh, the committee also passed House Bill 735 which relates to local occupational licensing. This is the preemption bill that preempts to the state all low, uh, all licensing of occupations. It basically preempts local uh, and super, supersedes local requirements. And for those local licensing requirements that are currently in existence as of July 1st, 2021, it allows for a two year period uh, for those licensing uh, requirements to continue, but then they expire. Um, the committee passed that bill, uh, 13 to 4, and it now heads to the House Commerce Committee, its last committee of reference. Yeah, thank you, Eddie. You know, 
your report was sort of blue. So, There's a lot of tough news right there. We're going to get some of Tiffany's red and get you a red polo and let you fire up the legislature. Sarah, stepping in for Tonette today. Do you know what time yeah. it is? It is COVID time this week. So we had a busy week for COVID. HB 9, protecting consumers against fraud during a pandemic by Representative Zika, passed this morning on the House floor, 113 yays, and it moves over to the Senate. So both the House HB 7 and Senate Bill SB 72 that provides liability protections for businesses and governmental entities against COVID-19 claims is making moves this week. Senate Bill 72 heads to its last committee and House Bill 7 is on the House floor right now. It had its second reading yesterday. All amendments failed there. So it is expected to pass this morning on the House floor and move to the Senate. And both the healthcare liability protections for healthcare providers passed HB 705 and SB 72. 74 and it is making its last committee stops sometime soon before hitting the floor so we expected all these covid bills to move through pretty quickly on the first week and the last bill is hb 327 public records and disaster which creates a public records exemption for individuals impacted during an emergency. And FACS supports this public records exemption and this bill passed and moves to its last stop. Sarah, that was a very good job. It Thank might be you. a promotion in your future like six years from now. You, you keep doing that for like the next six years. I got you, all right? And I'll move my way up. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Now we're on the Bob's favorite segment. It's called One Big Thing. For those out there listening, um, our guys are going to highlight one big thing in each of their areas that happened this week so you can stay in tune um, for all the happenings affecting counties. I'm going to change it up a little bit. Usually Sarah goes first, but I want Tiffany to go first because I think she's got a federal update. So, Tiffany, it's time for your one big thing. Yes, thank you so much. Hi, everyone. I just have a quick update on the American Rescue Plan. Um, last, Late last week, the um, U.S. House of Reps passed the American Rescue Plan Act of 2021, and that includes the $1.9 trillion aimed at combating the COVID-19 pandemic um, based on President Biden's American Rescue Plan framework. Um, there's $350 billion in direct assistance to state and local governments to respond to the pandemic, and that includes $65.1 billion in direct aid to counties. So um, that's something that we're definitely watching. Um, hundreds, of billion of hundreds of billions of dollars that can be utilized for public health and vaccines, um, also assistance for vulnerable populations, education, and housing stabilization. So um, look out for more on that in our, the legislative bulletin. Um, this bill is now in the Senate. So it was sent over to the U.S. Senate, I believe, yesterday. And um, so a lot is going on there. Uh, the bill was read word for word um, last night. And there's um, a voterama going on. There's going to be a lot of amendments. So we are definitely watching, but we expect the Senate to um, 
to come out and, and make their decisions um, over the weekend. So please look for more information in our legislative bulletin that will go out later today. And it includes an analysis and a county um, allocation spreadsheet. All right. Thank you, Tiffany. Yeah. Um, the poor soul who had to read that whole bill word for word. Someone needs to get him some Kool-Aid, you know, preferably the orange color. Bob, I like orange Kool-Aid. So for future oh, yeah. reference. Okay. Uh, yeah. And some chocolate. Yeah. Chocolate. Some, some, some peanuts or something. <laughs> some... All right. Let's get back on track here. Now I want to hear Sarah's one big thing. So today we're bringing back something that was up at the beginning of committee weeks, but hasn't been heard again, but we think it's important to stay engaged with, and that is regional planning councils. So a little bit of history on regional planning councils. In 1980, under the Florida Regional Planning Council Act, Florida established the 10 regional planning councils in the state. Although all the regional planning councils in the state were actually established before 1980 under interlocal agreements. You can check out the graphic for all the dates on those established and they're breaking over 40 years now, which is really awesome. But the purpose of RPCs was to create unified councils to assist local governments with resolving common problems with a regional focus and also to participate in functional planning with the state. So it really creates a bridge between state and local governments for issues that are greater than local issues and the need for assistance in their surrounding counties. So the bill SB 62 would eliminate RPCs from Florida statute, which also would remove all requirements for counties to participate within the RPCs. And this removal of RPCs would mean a loss of that state and local partnership that we see right now and also the potential loss for the local voice, the local voice and advisory role on all matters that RPCs tackle like transportation, housing and emergency planning, which are all very important issues right now more than ever as COVID hits our state. So. Additionally, RPCs do bring in state and federal grants for research and projects. So this bill could cause a loss to some of this money that RPCs use within their communities. And although the bill does not say that local governments can create RPCs through interlocal agreements as they were, sorry, the bill says that local governments can create RPCs through interlocal agreements as they were originally before form before 1980. So we're keeping a close eye out on this bill right now, but we haven't seen a house companion on it. So it'll be interesting to see what happens with it if it moves. All right. Thank you, sir. Very good data point. And you guys can see the graphic and read more in legible. And Eddie, even though he likes blue, will wear his red polo when attacking this bill, uh, along with help from the deputy DOP. That's the direct deputy director of public policy. Bob McKee, and his wrath all over it. Thank you, guys. All right. Let me go to Jeff. Jeff, you look like you have one big thing. As promised, one big thing this week is broadband. Uh, House Bill 753 by Representative Clemens received its first committee hearing, and there was a strike all amendment that adopt, uh, that was adopted and, and what this bill does is establish opportunity grants to focus broadband expansion in unserved areas. We're talking about a lot of 
one of Bob's favorite colors, green, uh, over $60 million that will be uh, geared towards giving, uh, establishing grants towards these unserved areas. Um, there, there are a lot of broadband bills this session. Uh, Senator Osley has Senate Bill 1560, uh, which focuses more on establishing a task force and setting up broadband mapping uh, to deliver those uh, access and expansion to rural areas and make sure we have the right maps. Uh, there's also Senate Bill 1592 by Senator Burgess, as well as its House companion, uh, House Bill 1239, which really tackles it from a different perspective and incentives uh, to, to establish uh, expansion of broadband. It also has a preemption of the municipal utility poles in the rights of way. So we're going to be tracking a few different pieces of legislation um, this session. You know, FACT does a lot of work in this area. Uh, you know, our commissioners, uh, Bur Commissioner Burroughs and Weiss, who serve on NACO's National Broadband Task Force, uh, our initiative, Access 67, uh, in really trying to pump up this issue to bridge the digital divide. FAC uh, adopted uh, Ag and Rural Affairs Policy Number 1 this year, uh, the expansion of broadband, and we're really focusing, and that was at, at our legislative conference, uh, to expand broadband access. If you have local resolutions that you've adopted, please send them our way. Send them to me and send them to Tiffany. We're collecting those local resolutions of support to show why and what local governments are doing to expand broadband. Jeff, thank you. Um, this one's gonna go to the very end. It's important, a lot of people to work with. Um, we'll see, you're gonna be a busy guy. So, But the people need you. Kids got to go to school. And, and the people need broadband. We, it's ever more important during COVID, you know, telemedicine, school at, from home and working from home. So we need broadband in all 67. Yeah. And especially we'll get a little bit higher uh, upload speed for Eddie down there in Fort Lauderdale. So <laughs> speaking of Eddie, Eddie, I know you've got one big thing. Thanks, uh, Davin. And, and yes, uh, my one big thing uh, for this week is Senate Bill 758 by Senator Manny Diaz from Miami. It establishes an express fiduciary duty of care for appointed public officials and executive officers. Specifically, it were, uh, it, um, prescribes the, the duty uh, of such officers uh, and it requires them to act in accordance with laws, ordinances, rules, policies, and uh, terms governing their particular office or employment. Uh, it requires them to act with care, competence, and diligence normally exercised by reasonably prudent persons in similar corporate and proprietary circumstances. It requires them to act only within the scope of their authority um, and uh, it requires them to refrain from conduct that is likely to damage the financial or economic interest of their governmental entity. Um, it requires reasonable use of efforts to maintain uh, documentation in accordance with applicable laws and um, the last duty that it 
specifically and expressly states is to maintain reasonable oversight of any delegated authority um, and discharge of his or her duties with the care that a reasonably prudent person in a light business position would believe appropriate under the circumstances. Um, the bill um, establishes training requirements for appointed uh, uh, public officials and executive officers beginning January 1st, 2022. It requires that they complete a minimum of five hours of board governance training for each term served. I have one question. If Bob is the deputy director of public policy, does he have to take some of this training? Bob? Are no, you? because this only applies to governmental entities. It doesn't apply to nonprofits. So Bob can uh, avoid such board governance training. I think, but should he is a key question. Should you be trained, Bob? Uh, I will always accept the opportunity to gain additional knowledge. All right. Instead of gaining knowledge, why don't you share some knowledge? What is your one big thing? In the rundown, I'd already mentioned Senate Bill 50. So I'm going to look at one of the bills that was filed as part of the avalanche that comes down on the bill filing deadline the first day of session. Senate Bill 2008 and its companion, um, House Bill 1429, revise how tourist development taxes work. They would require for any currently enacted tourist development tax that they would expire every five years and then have to go to referendum to be reauthorized. There's some language that seeks to try and protect any current debt service that has been pledged from those existing sources but it's certainly the, the bill in its filed form would certainly provide a detrimental source going forward compared to the source today. Yeah, that's horrible. Horrible idea. So Bob, I need you to focus and do what you do best, okay? Take Sarah though with you. Sarah, I think, although she's chill, I think there's a dark side coming that the legislature will bring out. So you take Sarah with you. All right. Thank you guys for the one big thing. Um, I get to do the number one rated segment today. And you know, that is Tiffany's shout outs. There's really only one major shout out today. And we absolutely must do this. We want to say happy birthday to our current association president, Commissioner Melissa McKinley. So, Everybody, let's clap and say happy birthday to Melissa. Happy, happy birthday. All right, happy want, birthday. Yeah, we birthday. want you to enjoy it happy today. Birthday. Um, and thank you for being our president. And just take the day off. We got it. Um, actually, Sarah, I'm going to appoint you president for the day of the Florida Association of Counties. And uh, Melissa, wherever you are, have a good one. And thanks for being the commissioner. <clears throat> and thanks for being our president. All right. All right, week one is done, and everybody, we got a little bit more bill reading to do. We're gonna go home, sit on the couch, wait on amendments to drop, look at the calendar. Um, but it's pretty good week one. 
Um, pace stepped up a little bit from committee week, but we were ready. We took action this week. Team had a good week on behalf of counties. And so to my team, I say thank you. Um, last word. Uh, I'm going to start with Eddie for week one. What's your last word for this week? Frantic. Nah, you like it though. Not blue, red is going to be his cover. Right. Sarah, you got any last words? Just all over the place. Not a bad thing, but there's a lot going on on all levels of government right now. That's all right. You handle it well, though. You handle it well. Jeff. I try. The marathon sprint has begun. So we got four days down, 56 to go. Yeah. And people need to understand that it's a marathon sprint. That's a long time to run fast. Man. Bob, close us out. All right. First part of the final word is that best part of session starting is that it can't end until it starts. Ah, very good. You're right. The other is if I heard right and I'm now being referred to deputy dog, I just want to make sure y'all know I not only put the work and worked up, I put the wow in bow wow. <laughs> Bob, you're amazing with this week off. You are amazing. Everybody else, you're going to have to step it up. And to my members, as always, um, not going to change this at all, but just want everybody to know out there why we do what we do. Our why it is, um, it's not the critical counts. It's not the person who points out how the strong person stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the person who is actually in the arena. And that's almost 400 plus commissioners and thousands of staff members out there florida association of counties so with that we thank you we love doing what we do for you and everybody have a great weekend